0: Hello, afternoon. Welcome to the uh, the Stuff Central show. We're talking technology this afternoon. My name is John Tullis, and I'm standing in for Toby Shapshack, who unfortunately got called away at the last moment. Uh, we're going to be talking about what's happening in the world of technology, what's been breaking the news. Uh, if you want to have a chat to us about anything that's on your mind, you can tweet us at cliffcentral.com. You can visit the Facebook page, Cliff Central, or you can. Use the preferred method, which is WeChat. Send us a message at Cliff Central. Uh, just click on Message to Show, and it will pop up. Uh, you can tweet me at FakeJohn. Uh, and, yeah, that's about it. I think I'll be joined in a, a short while by uh, Arthur Goldstock, who's probably one of the better-known technology analysts in the local market. So let's, let's have a, a quick chat about some of the news uh, that's been happening. Um, probably one of, the, one of the most exciting things to happen is uh, the acquisition of of gift, um, many of you will know Vinny Lingham. Vinny's uh, uh, been a big personality in the local industry for a while. He had a st- he formed a startup a couple of years ago uh, called Gift with a Y, uh, which was all about um, uh, selling um, uh, pff, looking for the word here not lo- not loyalty cards, but uh, um, promo promo cards for companies. And and he just sold out. Uh, probably for in the region of, of $50 to $100 million. Dollars. Uh, the estimates, the numbers haven't been confirmed, but congrats to Vinny. That's absolutely fantastic news. It's great to see a, a local boy doing well. Uh, there have been a few of these, uh, actually, over the years. I mean, obviously the most famous, Mark Shuttleworth, who sold out for approximately a gazillion dollars when he sold Thought to VeriSign a few years ago, promptly used his money very wisely, took himself into space. Uh, so there have been, been a few of those, uh, but it is good to see the uh, the local guys doing very well. Uh, On that note, uh, the uh, accounting firm, PwC Price Waterhouse Coopers, uh, they they publish a a list of uh, companies to watch um, every year. uh, And in their list of technology companies, a bunch of guys doing quite well. Some of them you you may well have heard of. Uh, One of my favorites is TaxTim. If you haven't come across them, go check them out, taxtim.coza. Basically, if SARS made e-filing work, TaxTim made it sexy. Uh, It's an incredibly simple little site works very nicely on a mobile phone. You can go and it'll walk you through doing your tax return. Fantastic job. Again, launched a couple of years ago. Started to monetize it about a year, a year or so ago. And they've just been doing fantastically well. Really, really great local app. So good good work to them all around. So internationally, um, one that caught me completely by surprise, actually earnings results from Twitter and, and Facebook, I was completely wrong about them. It turns out they don't suck after all basically uh, facebook which when it when it launched at iPO uh, if you recall price is around thirty five dollars everyone thought it was ridiculously overvalued well it's now over seventy so congrats to everyone who called that right I wasn't one of them I didn't think the uh, the fundamentals made any sense at all. It turns out they do uh, the company's actually done a brilliant job over the last year or so managing to uh, get its mobile strategy together, uh, it's doing some phenomenal work on the infrastructure side of things, and everyone now thinks it's worth a fortune. So congrats to Zuckerberg and the boys. Uh, Twitter, meanwhile, um, the fundamentals still don't make any sense, but it's uh, it's starting to make money, which is nice, uh, and its valuation is now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, somewhere around $40-odd, dollars. Um, probably more overvalued in terms of its, uh, of its actual revenue than, than Facebook is. But the company has turned a corners making money, signing up users hand over fist, so it's all good. Um, I think if you look at uh, if you look at this country, certainly the traction of of Facebook and Twitter has been utterly ridiculous. Uh, they, their penetration is phenomenal, uh, doing exceptionally well. Uh, and actually, uh, Facebook, of course, uh, has launched its Internet.org initiative, which is quite exciting. This is like a lot of the big tech companies; it wants to get Internet to everyone in the globe. Presumably, so they can sign up for Facebook accounts. Um, and as as part of that, what it's been doing is uh, uh, it's launched a service in in Zambia. Uh, it's got there's a a phone app where if you if you're on the local telecoms network, you can get uh, unrated access to a whole a whole bunch of services. Um, so in other words, you won't pay you won't pay for the data if you access uh, so library services, obviously Facebook. Uh, a whole, a whole bunch of stuff, um, job sites, uh, lo- local weather channels, that kind of stuff. All of it zero rated, very exciting, and they're, they're looking at uh, uh, at expanding that, rolling it out in, in other regions. I think that's phenomenally exciting. Um, there, there's been a lot of talk about similar stuff in South Africa. We want to see projects getting Wikipedia, for example, um, zero rated for uh, for learners, that kind of thing. Very exciting and a really good way to do it. Uh, they've got the they've got the muscle to to pay off the mobile networks, if you like, get them to to sponsor the access to these things. Um, There's plenty of arguments that say it makes sense to drive your user base, get that usage growing, and then uh, uh, upsell them services later, Uh, and probably a more viable solution than floating giant balloons all over the place the way Google is doing, although I still think that's pretty cool. So don't stop doing that, Google. Uh, We like that. Uh, There's a... Bunch of uh, of some of the stuff happening on the in terms of free connectivity. While we're while we're neatly segueing from one story to the next, city of Shwane is expanding its uh, its free Wi-Fi project. Pretty exciting. Um, they're they're rolling out another a couple of hundred more free internet zones, uh, uh, giving internet access to a whole bunch of schools. Phenomenal. Uh, it's really good. Um, the the data cap is actually pretty respectable. It's really not bad. So they're uh, um, they're giving access to many thousands of users. Uh, I think their, their target capacity is, is 2 million, and they want to hit 2 million users. Um, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, it's, it's really good to see that kind of thing happening, and I think it's the it's it's the first uh, major metro area on the continent to do it. So, uh, good on Schwane. Well done. Let's talk about something a little bit more exciting then. Samsung. Uh, we all love Samsung, Samsung. Um, If only because they tell us we have to. Uh, Anywhere you go in the world, you'll see Samsung billboards plastered everywhere in sight. This is a company that's been basically owning the smartphone space for a long time. If you aren't an Apple fan, uh, they've been everywhere, really driving tablet adoption as well. Uh, Turns out the bubble might have popped a little bit. Uh, Although they they still got tons and tons of, of fantastic gear they've got quite a quite a strong pipeline of technology but their their profits have gone down by about a fifth about 20% year and year from last year. Uh tablet demand is waning they say all that's apparently happening to everybody. Uh but there uh, much reduced demand for uh, for smartphones as well. Uh, they they're facing some pretty stiff competition from the other manufacturers especially the other Chinese manufacturers the guys like uh, like ZTE and Huawei coming in. Um yeah, pretty pretty tough times for Samsung. Uh, I'm sure they'll respond by marketing even heavier than ever. Uh, this is a company that's really learned uh, an important lesson about how to keep your brand in the public eye. But uh, what I'm hoping to see is a couple of things. One, uh, we know they're focusing heavily on wearables, so they've got a they've got the the Galaxy Gear already. They're punching that pretty heavily, but uh, expect to see them investing more heavily in there. So we should see some cool stuff coming down the line. And I'm hoping we'll see back to basics as well. They're the Galaxy line started to dwindle a bit from the S2. The S2 was a truly phenomenal phone. Since then, it's it's kind of been backwards in terms of innovation. I mean, the devices are getting faster and bigger and sexier for sure, but not that innovative, and they have been bundling it with, frankly, a load of crappy bloatware. So back to basics for Samsung should get them back on a competitive track. They've certainly got the muscle to weather the storm. Uh, If Apple doesn't manage to sue them into oblivion, then it'll probably be uh, all systems go. But so look look for some pretty heavy work uh, in the next 12 months or so from Samsung. I, I I expect to see some pretty exciting stuff. So that's that's going to be good to watch. Right, let's let's talk about something completely different. Um, let's let's talk about the right to privacy because this is this is something that that happened uh, in Europe, didn't it? A couple of a couple of months ago, we had the the, the European courts enforcing a right to forgotten. So, uh, if somebody says something mean about you on the internet, you can write to Google and say, "We want you to forget all about that, please, and take it down." And there've been some some notable cases of that. Uh, everyone was pretty much up in arms about it. I mean, it's it's frankly retarded. It's a very stupid thing to be doing. You can't possibly ask Google to police the entire internet. They're not the only search engine after all, and all they're doing is indexing other people's stuff. But never never mind. It is what it is, and that's what the European Court decided. Uh, now, finally, uh, we've seen somebody stand up to them, and the, the House of Laws in the UK basically stood up and said, that's stupid, stop it. Um, they made the point that, first of all, if the stuff is true, you don't have a right to have the rest of the world forget about it just because it's inconvenient. Uh, and secondly, it's, it's basically impossible. Uh, you know, the UK now kind of at odds with, with the rest of Europe over this. Hopefully sanity will prevail, and we'll see. Uh, we'll see the UK... Uh, have its way here. Uh, we we can only hope. Of course, there there is a bit of a dichotomy here. The UK is also uh, frantically putting in place legislation to store everything anyone knows about you ever and give it across to the law enforcement agencies. So uh, maybe maybe we could see a bit of give and, give and take here. Yeah, I mean, Maybe Europe will take on the sanity from the UK in terms of the right to be forgotten and then the UK can listen to reason from the rest of Europe and uh, Stop handing over everything to the the spooks. That'd be that'd be great. So uh, to to all the the UK politicians and and spooks listening, that's what we think you should do. Thank you very much. Take it on board, will you? Right. So let's let's have a look then um, at some some more local business. Uh, there's been been some pretty good stuff. Uh, I I spent a a few days a little while ago actually over in the UK uh, visiting Fujitsu and their data their data center. I visited. Uh, a number of others around the world. And th- these are, are phenomenal facilities. So the number one question I always ask them is, when are you going to build one in South Africa? And they always kind of blush and look to the side and mumble something about when the market's ready and then do nothing. Uh, so it's good to see local businesses uh, building data centers. And Vodacom has, has just opened a, a shiny new 3,000-square-meter facility up the road in Midrand. Uh, that's its, its eighth, and it says it's doing it because it's basically adding cloud customers faster than they can provision. With their existing infrastructure, so uh, phenomenal. If if you ever get the chance to uh, to tour a data center like this, I encourage you to do it. It's a uh, it's a it's a whole new level of computing above what you'd see in a, a company data center. Uh, some really there, there's some really sexy research that goes into things like energy efficiency and and cooling and security and stuff like that. So if you're a if you're a computing nerd uh, and you get the chance to do a tour of a, a high end hosting facility like that do it, it's worth the experience. Uh, if you find this kind of thing incredibly boring, well you probably shouldn't be listening to the show anyway, but then do yourself a favour and just sign up for a cool cloud service and understand that it's running on stuff like this. One of the uh, one of the, the things that's very interesting in, in this market of course is that South Africa is a very hot place, which sounds like a no-brainer, I guess, but the reality is that it's very, very expensive to cool a data centre. So people tend to build them in places like Ireland and Denmark and stuff, cold places where it's relatively easy to keep the place cool, one of the prohibitive factors here is the climate. So uh, the local hosting guys uh, like Vodacom, like MTN and Telcom and so on, uh, they're all doing a, a pretty smashing job at, uh, at building these facilities out and uh, uh, their efficiencies will never be quite as good as their overseas competitors, uh, but it's great to see the investments happening anyway. Now I'm, I'm joined in studio by Arthur Goldstuck, um, Arthur is the probably probably the that one of the best regarded uh, analysts in in the local IT market. Uh, you, <laughs> you you didn't you didn't see the bow, but you take my word for it. It was it was there. Um, he he owns Worldwide Works. um uh, puts out a, a great deal of very good research on a, a metronomic regularity. Uh, he's the one who does research into things like. Uh, local mobile uptake and, and stuff like that, which you may well have seen. Uh, you can tweet him at uh, art2g on Twitter. And while I'm talking about Twitter, why don't I remind you that you can you can tweet the show at cliffcentral.com. You can visit the Facebook page at Cliff Central, or you can get in touch with us on WeChat, Cliff Central, and click on message to show. Arthur, welcome. Nice to see
1: you. Thank you, John. Good to see you again. How's it going? Crazy out there <laughs> with new information new launches new products new stats new discoveries it's been not manic. just by the day almost by the hour these days
0: it's been a manic week actually we were just saying a couple of weeks ago that it had been relatively slow for news um, last week or two goodness me a ton of stuff has happened i've just been doing a kind of 100 mile an hour whip through a, a bunch of the news that's been happening uh, i haven't really got onto much in the way of uh, of gadgets and kit yet though so uh What have you? What have you just whipped out? Do you have an exciting-looking open box there?
1: I've whipped out. Sorry, I can't show the audience. I thought this was radio; you could see. <laughs> uh, if it was, it w- would be. You'll just have to use your imagination. Yes, use your imagination and imagine something that looks like a flattened iPhone stretched out both ways, so that the screen becomes quite huge and. The um, feel of the phone becomes comfortable in the hand because it's so thin, but yet a far bigger device, which means that if you're going to type a message on it, anyone who's typed on an iPhone will know that if you have big fingers, it's almost impossible.
0: So you have a Galaxy S5, is what you're saying. <laughs>
1: Well, the Galaxy S5 has good competition from this little device. It's actually a, a Huawei P7.
0: Ah, yes. Well,
1: actually, I I met
0: with the Huawei folks yesterday, as a matter of fact.
1: So you've got a good idea of the kind of cool stuff they're coming up with these days. Yeah, um, and
0: and in fact, I as it happens, I I saw a video you did on YouTube talking about um, talking about some of their some of their products tackling the market, both in the high end, which is this thing, which we'll talk about in a moment, but also coming up with uh, It's a really, really affordable uh, smartphone.
1: In fact, what really excites me from Huawei is that entry-level smartphone, the Ascend Y220. That's right. Which came into the South African market at 450 Rand, which is absurd for the kind of device it is. A really solid little Android smartphone. It's now gone up in price because the subsidies have been pulled. Mm. I think they were selling far too many. They couldn't keep up with the demand. Quite seriously. And uh, they're now going at about 550 Rand, but shop around and you, you can still find one for under 500 Rand.
0: It's even so, I mean, 500 Rand, given that we're in a market with a, a dismal exchange rate for imports, uh, in a, a market where prices for technology have traditionally been pretty high, a smartphone coming in under 1,000 Rand is remarkable. A smartphone coming in for 500 is, is almost unbelievable.
1: There's no question it's unbelievable and it's set the market alight. That along with a couple of other Sub 550 rand devices. You you also have the MTN Stepper, which has had a lot of attention because it came in so cheaply at at 499. In fact, until people realised that uh, that's not the only phone in that category. And then you have from uh, Vodacom the Pixie, which is made by Alcatel for 550 rand, also an Android smartphone. You add all these together, and you can understand why there is suddenly a massive shift, a dramatic shift towards smartphones at the lower end of the market.
0: So let, let's talk about some boring stats for a moment. Um, last last time you surveyed the market and you had a look at the sort of penetration of smartphones and the, the adoption of feature phones. Where, where were we at? What was the split like? And, and how's it, how's it going to change now with so many cheap smartphones coming in?
1: We were looking at the end of last year at 16.1 million smartphones in the market. And uh, let's just look at the stats of users out there. Firstly, if you look at the number of connections in South Africa, it's about uh, 72 million, which clearly is far more than there are people. Yeah. But when you look at the amount of actual people using phones, it's around about 41 million. So you're talking about 16 out of 41 million people being smartphone users. That's already There's very more, significant. More, more than a third, was about more than a third. Of, the, of the adult population of this country are using smartphones. But what we're seeing now is something even more dramatic driven by those uh, cheap smartphones. And uh, this, this I have thanks to uh, an amazing chat I had with a gentleman by the name of John Edwards. No, not the guy who sees beyond our reality. <laughs> That's the guy who talks to the dead. This is a guy who talks to the living in a, in a very dramatic way. He runs cellular at Pep stores. And for those who don't know, and this came as a surprise to me as well, Pep is the biggest retailer of cell phones in South Africa. Of the 15 million or so cell phones sold last year, they sold about 6.7 million. That is phenomenal. But they, that is incredible. Yeah. And they sold those only in the prepaid market. They're not in the contract business. So, in the prepaid market, they sold about 6.7 million phones, which represented probably half this, the prepaid market in South Africa last year. When you consider that smartphones are, bet- uh, so, sorry, contract uh, phones are between one in five and one in ten of uh, phones sold. So here's the company that sells half of all prepaid phones in the market. They can tell you exactly what's happening in the prepaid market. And what John told me was staggering. In the last six months of last year, of all the phones sold by pep stores, 1% were smartphones. In the first six months of this year, it was 14%.
0: That's amazing.
1: That's already amazing. Their projections for the end of the year is that in the last quarter, the last three months of this year, that figure is going to be wait for it, 30%. Sure. That That, is incredible growth. That is staggering. And that is the shape of the changing market Hmm. in terms of cell phones versus feature phones.
0: What does that mean for the guys who develop uh, services targeting feature phones? All the guys building out um, kind of the WAP services and stuff like that. Is that... If, is the nail basically in the coffin?
1: No, there's still a big feature phone market. Bear in mind that that 30% means that 70% are still buying feature phones. So, yes, the feature phone still has a life in South Africa, but you can see that it's a finite life. That's and those who are developing like. only for feature phones at the moment they have to catch a big wake-up. Mm. They develop, they're develop they developing for the lower end of the market, and they think they're looking after that market. But if they really want to look after that market, they're going to, have to start looking at smartphone versions of what they do.
0: Hmm. And, of course, all of these people are potential app users. They're all
1: potential uh, WeChat customers. Oh, precisely. That's one of the other things that came out of what uh, Pep was looking at. They initially got the sense that the popularity of WhatsApp was driving the take-up of smartphones. But you also get feature phones, high-end feature phones, that also uh, take uh, WhatsApp. So it wasn't that alone. And then they discovered that, Data use was going up significantly amongst the smartphone users because they were using apps beyond WhatsApp. In other words, they're discovering the apps on their phones and they're beginning to use the capabilities of the phone rather than the capabilities of one single app. Hmm. Absolutely. So we
0: we have a a question coming in. Um, And Arthur, you you may actually have a little bit of insight on this. The question uh, from Feroz is, uh, when are we getting Google Glasses in South Africa? Um, I don't know is is the short and easy answer to that. Uh, there, there's been some debate, right? There, there are, I mean, there's, there are some units in South Africa. Uh, there are, there are some people who have them. Um,
1: it's not. I, th- a, it's I think the question is wrong. I think the question is, why would we want Google Glass <laughs> in South Africa?
0: Well, yeah. So okay, so we, so we don't know when it, we don't know when yeah, it'll be yeah, officially yeah. available for
1: sale. It, it won't be. Um, yeah. that, that's what I can tell you at this stage. The, the, the current rollout of Google Glass is still a very limited rollout.
0: It's very constrained, isn't it? And, and I mean, that, and that's that's. That's probably on purpose. I mean, they, yes. they, yeah, they're trying to uh, – very it's not like a, just a Bluetooth headset. They're trying to build out kind of demand and apps and stuff and get acceptance. Indeed.
1: Indeed. In fact, the hype around Google Glass masks the fact that it's still, in fact, in beta stage. Yes. That they're still experimenting and yes. testing. So,
0: so. It's also it's also basically terrible once you get out of the, the kind of the few use cases where it works really well.
1: In fact, it's it's an embarrassing piece of technology because people feel – that it's intrusive, they look at you, they see that light is on, and they figure, well, you are videoing me, and I don't like that.
0: Yeah, there, there is that, that this, the invasion of privacy kind of Correct. hovering around you all and the time.
1: even if you're not, even if you're not filming, even if that little red light is not on, what they're seeing is this guy with a computer in front of his eyes, and he's Googling me, or he's watching... Videos while he's talking to me. Yeah, exactly, so, he's, so, he's watching cat videos. He's, yeah. not, he's not listening to yeah, a exactly. word I'm saying. Exactly. So, so Google Glass for for, for the person uh, confronted with it who's not wearing it is um, a social disaster. So the person who's actually wearing it, it's social death. Yeah, I,
0: I, I, th- there there's a lot we have to overcome here. I think one one is the the inevitable. Dork aspect of it
1: that yeah if if you think you look like that's a, a very polite word John
0: <laughs> yeah if you think you look like a dork wearing a Bluetooth headset seriously put a put Google glasses on your nose and, and have a look and see what what people think of you yeah you, know, you you look like yeah I don't know what you look like but you look like pre- like the retard basically uh,
1: no pre- no precisely <laughs> you've, you've used the correct word um, people's automatic reaction to Google glasses what a dork yeah so do you want to buy a what a dork um uh, I face there
0: are cheaper ways to do that. Exactly. I mean, you, you can exactly. look like an idiot for a lot less money.
1: Yeah, yeah. You can just buy it. <clears throat> excuse me. You can wear badly color-coded uh, clothes and like I do. <laughs> and then at a at a much lower cost, you can have the same effect. Hmm. So that's what I would prefer to do. Just, I think, to put it in context, uh, listeners need to understand the cost of Google Glass. You're talking about something like a $1,400 device. Yep. So by the time it lands in South Africa, you're talking about... 18,000 rand. About 20k for a limited computer that you stick in front of your eyes that makes you look like a dog and that <laughs> makes you a social outcast. So it's, I guess, cheaper to price if that's the effect you get. <laughs> fair,
0: fair enough. Actually, so here, here's a an, an purely historical anecdote for you. Uh, back in the 90s, I visited the IBM Watson Labs and I was treated to a, a demo of um, of a wearable at the time, which which looked and felt an awful lot like Google Glass. What it lacked, of course, was the cloud service in the back end. But it had the uh, the translucent screen that you could focus through or focus near to see it. Uh, and if you managed to do that, what you were greeted with was an 800 by 600 Windows 3.1 display. But so it clearly, yeah, lacking a little bit in the UX department. But all the technology was there. The the smarts all fitted into something about the size of a pack of cigarettes uh, that you clipped onto your belt. So it, it was pretty cool. All the technology seemed to exist. All, we just we just didn't have the uh, the intelligence in the back end. But uh, my point is that Google Glass maybe is not quite as revolutionary as as, as people think. We, and there are there are other headset manufacturers on the market. Uh, you've got, of course, uh, Facebook just coughed up some ridiculous amount of money for for Oculus. Um, sort of more of a VR side of things, I guess. But uh, there does seem to be some some real money going into stuff that makes you look like a dog.
1: Indeed, and in fact, a lot of companies were already working on that kind of technology when Google Glass was announced, so some of them rushed early versions to market. And one of those was uh, Seiko Epson, better known on the Seiko side for their watches and on the Epson side for their printers. But Seiko Epson as a company has got incredible R&D facilities and a production line technology, and one of the things they've been working on was Intelligent glasses or smart glasses that could be used for specific applications like rather medical than was, medical glasses. was one field exactly. that they were targeting exactly. Yeah. Medical was one field where surgeons could use it, uh, getting a schematic of the body or the brain or whatever they are operating on in front of their eyes while also seeing through the glasses and working on the patient. And the other example that uh, they gave was um, aircraft maintenance where you actually have the schematics of the uh, aircraft in front of your eyes and, and you can actually see exactly what you should be seeing and you might get an alert of what is out of place and what needs to be adjusted, what, which um, wire to cut, the red wire or the green wire to prevent the <laughs> whole thing from exploding, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So a lot of industrial uses and specialist uses for these devices and that's where Seiko Epson is going and it completely bypasses the whole social and ethical issue that Google is facing right now.
0: I'm not sure how I'd feel if if i was about to go into the knife and i saw the surgeon kind of using google glasses to look up a procedure on wikipedia or something i'm not sure if that would fill me with confidence <laughs> I'd, ra- I'd rather the guy trusted his many many years of training and experience
1: we we hope it's not wikipedia in background but uh, <laughs> well, rather uh, some a, serious stuff a cat video diagrams <laughs>
0: so a question that came through on on twitter from from peter thank you peter uh what what are what are your thoughts on the the Sony Z2 uh, and i think i can boil this down it's a good phone But there are probably reasons for that. Arthur, what do you think about the Z2?
1: I haven't had a chance to play with the Z2 yet, uh, but I'm a big fan of the Z and the Z1. And funny you should uh, mention it, because just in the last two days, I pulled out the the Z to uh, run some tests with. And I just wanted to make sure that there wasn't personal stuff on this device. So I checked the gallery, and I thought, wow, these... um, the, the sample photos that they shipped with the phone are so amazing. They're so sharp. And then I thought, wait a minute, that looks familiar. And I realized those were photos I had taken. And I flipped through them. And I was dazzled by the clarity of them. And I realized that even with a Z from the beginning of um, last year, and and uh, then also with a the, with the Z1, the quality of the camera and of the images is so far beyond... Most smartphone makers, even right now, that if photos are your are your thing, then there's only really two choices. If you're really serious about photos and you want to use your smartphone, you go with the Nokia 1020 yep. or you go with one of the Sony Xperia Z series.
0: Those Carl Zeiss optics, uh, they are they absolutely are phenomenal.
1: Absolutely. There is one other. The LG G3 also has taken display to a new level and the image quality is exceptionally good. But... Starts with the 1020, the Nokia 1020, and the and the Xperia Z series. Even an older Xperia Z is going to dazzle you.
0: Speaking as someone who loves those cameras, I should really say that if you want to take decent photographs, you should get yourself a camera. But yes, point, I would go point. with that. <laughs> <laughs> but point point taken. And um, the, the Sony does um, stand out when it comes to image quality. But also just all, just all round, really really good phone. Um, it's a it's a very slick interface. It's very good. It's very well regarded. Um, I, I can't talk about Sony without bringing up my kind of historical bias. Yeah, I, I just, I, I'm not going to buy a phone from a company which thought it was okay to infect its music customers with rootkits. So, yeah, it's probably, it's probably a great phone. Just, yeah. I think they I still think, have a little way to I go, go to get the look trust at the, back.
1: You've got to look at the, at the music division as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, They're all from the same family.
1: That you could say that, but there's there's a totally different culture in that division, sitting somewhere in uh, Hollywood and yep. thinking like Hollywood moguls, as opposed to yep. thinking about technology and customers. So yep. it's a totally different culture. I wouldn't I wouldn't hold it against the phone people.
0: You're just more forgiving than I am. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I I have an, an unplumbed capacity to hold grudges against technology companies. So but I I I credit where it's due. Great great phones, really, really good hardware, they've done a nice job with the software, you can't fault the optics. Um as with the cameras. I mean the camera's basically the same. If you're buying a Sony camera you can expect more or less the same thing. Fantastic optics, good build quality, great software, and you'll probably get shafted at some point. Good luck. Um Right. So <laughs> let's uh let's talk briefly about the um about the Huawei phone that Arthur actually took out of his pocket to show us. Uh, and after that, we'll, we'll take a break.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to mention that the, the P7 is the successor to the P6, which when it was launched was the thinnest smartphone in the world in terms of, of well-known brands and widely available phones. There are a few others that are thinner, but you'd have to go to China to find them somewhere in a flea market. But uh, the, so, so the, the P6 uh, set a benchmark for how thin a phone can be at uh, 65 uh, millimeters, which is absurdly thin. And the P7, they decided not to try to show off too much, and they kept it at the same thickness, and it remains a year later one of the thinnest uh, smartphones in the world, and certainly the thinnest of the name brand smartphones on the market. But uh, what's amazing about this phone is the uh, camera. Firstly, the, the, the rear camera is a standard 13-megapixel rear camera, uh, an aperture of 2.0. So a good rear camera for taking decent photos. But what makes it stand out is the front facing camera. It's an eight megapixel front camera.
0: This is, this is a selfie machine, isn't it?
1: Exactly. At eight megapixels, you know that this phone is geared towards the selfie fanatic. And personally, I'm not a selfie fan, but I have to say for anyone out there who is a selfie fan, there's nothing that beats the Huawei P7. There is a phone that comes close. And uh, that is the 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 HTC One M8, which has a five megapixel uh, front camera, but its uh, rear camera doesn't have the quality of the of the Huawei's uh, rear camera. But if you're a Salsi person, then you're also going to be a Huawei Ascent P7 person.
0: Talk talk a little bit more about what what it's like to use um, as a phone. What's the uh, what are they what are they bundled with it? Is it uh, it's, 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 like? it's
1: a fairly standard Android uh, interface. It's a comfortable phone to use. It's a, it's a good-looking phone, and it's uh, it's slick. It's fast. It's got a good processor. Um, it's got uh, all the sensors that you could want on a, a phone accelerometer, proximity sensor, light sensor, compass, uh, gyroscope, et cetera. So you can do all the gaming stuff that you would want to do on one of the high-end smartphones that is geared towards uh, gaming. It's a great gaming device. It's got a great uh, display as well. And um, I would say that there's nothing that counts against this phone except for people who would prefer to have an Apple or a Samsung instead of a, a Huawei. But what really counts in its favor is the price, which is about uh, 6,900 Rand mm. compared to the equivalent phones costing around 10,000 Rand today.
0: Mm. Yeah, it- it's phenomenally priced. Does it, when you're that thin, does it, does it, does it actually matter? Or is, is it really just kind of a global dick waving contest in who's managed to shave 0.1 of a millimeter off their phone?
1: Well, what matters is when you slip it into your pocket and you can't feel it's there.
0: Talking about the phones? <laughs> <laughs>
1: no. Oh, you're talking about the phone? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, indeed. The, uh, it's, it's a factor that we call in, in Gadget Magazine, we call it slippability. Which, yeah, you could have a couple, couple of uh, good jokes about that too. But, uh, <laughs> slippability means it slips into your pocket without you really feeling it there or without any friction or without, when you pull it out, pulling out uh, your credit cards or your, um, whatever else you keep in your pockets along with it. And that, that, that slipability is what sets it apart as well. Thanks to that thinness, but also because it's a very smooth phone. One thing I don't like about the Sony's, by the way, is that the, Controls on the side tend to uh, to stick out a bit. They tend to be um, a a bit uncomfortable in the hand, whereas the the, the P7 still has a bit of buttons on the side sticking out, but a lot more smoothly, and uh, it enhances that slippability. It even fits into a a, a shirt pocket if you're the type that sticks things in your uh, shirt pocket.
0: There you go. Slippability, you here first if you haven't heard it before. So we have, we have a question coming through on WeChat from Lionel about uh, data costs and so on. Lionel, you're going to have to wait a moment for that. We're going to take, take a break, uh, listen to some music, and then when we come back, we'll tackle your question. Thank you. Okay, we're, we're back. Uh, so talking talking technology, uh, of course, you can get in touch with us if you have any questions. Uh, and in fact, I have exactly the right man in front of me to answer any questions you may have about gadgets, smartphones in particular. That is, of course, Arthur <laughs> Goldstock, the uh, proprietor of World Wide Works. You can tweet him at art g You can tweet us at thecentral.com. Uh, the you can tweet me at fakejohn.com. You can get in touch with us on Facebook, Cliff Central, WeChat, Cliff Central, and click Message to Show, uh, or you could send us a carrier pigeon. That would be good, too. Uh, so in a moment, we're going to answer Lionel's exceptionally good question about uh, data costs, uh, but first, we're just going to wrap up. There were a couple of points that, uh, that Arthur, you wanted to make about the the Huawei P7.
1: Yeah, if I could just mention the the battery. Now, one of the big issues with the big-screen or the big display phones that we now typically get from most of the smartphone brands, is that they are a massive drain on power. So the Huawei has got a 5-inch display with full HD, 1920 by 1080 for the number inclined, 40, 445 pixels per inch. Now, that's um, not unusual these days, but it's still results in a massive drain on the battery. So you want decent uh, battery life, you want a decent battery size. You would expect in a phone this thin that they're going to have to compromise on the battery. Your typical smartphone battery these days is around 2100 milliamps, which means that uh, you're going to get around 10 to 12 hours out of uh, out of it, if you're lucky. It doesn't usually last a full working day. So... um the P7 you expect to have even less than that because it's so thin, but that's the remarkable thing about this phone as well. It's a 2,500 milliamp battery. I don't great. know how they did that in, in this form factor.
0: So we can wait, wait for the reports of
1: exploding <laughs> P7s then? Yeah, or P7s um, burning down your house. Uh, <laughs> hopefully not. I haven't heard anything like that yet. But uh, what they talk about in terms of, of talk time, active talk time, is 14 hours of talk time. Uh, on, on 3G, if you switch off 3G, you get up to 22 hours of uh, talk time. And standby time, this sounds ridiculous, but this is what they claim. On 4G, your standby time is 404 hours. And on 3G, standby time, 422 hours. I can't even so. work that out in days <laughs> in my head. How, <laughs> many, how many days is that? Either. That's something like uh, 18 days, three but weeks, ba- ba- basically' uh, two like and a half weeks. leave your phone on for like a month or so. Yeah. And I, I've got to say, uh, because I test a lot of phones, uh, there's often a lot of phones that, have, that are lying around for a few weeks before they get collected again. And just before they get collected, I always switch them on again and just make sure that there's nothing embarrassing on them. And uh, there's, there's certain Says phones… Says the man that, who's not a fan of selfies. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are worse things than selfies. <laughs> so um, what, what, is, what, what has startled me about uh, certain phones is how long they've kept their charge. And there, I just have to refer back to the Sony again. That uh, Xperia Z, that I actually had been using for a long time um, and then didn't use for a while, has been sitting there for a few months. um, And I was shocked to switch it on and it still had decent battery life uh, in it. Mm. So some phones manage the battery far better uh, than others. Mm. And we're hoping that this is one of those phones. Perhaps that's why they can claim. That kind of uh, standby time.
0: Well, we and we we've seen some some the new version of of Android has uh, some specific mechanisms which they reckon will extend battery life enormously. Uh, let let's talk let's talk data costs. Lionel had a question on on WeChat. Uh, he wanted to know with the proliferation of of smartphones now with the, the, such rapid growth, do, will we see data uh, data costs come down?
1: This is a family show, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was uh, my thoughts were along the same line. So uh, if if The cellular operators seeing sales numbers like that are not thinking, gosh, how can we bring prices down? They're thinking,
1: all the way to the bank, baby. How do I say this uh, diplomatically? No fucking chance. (laughs) (laughs) The cellular operators are desperate to hold on to absurd margins where they can get away with it still. And the only place where they can still get away with it is in SMS, but not for very much longer, thanks to WhatsApp, and in data. So your ad hoc cost of data remains between 99 cents and two rand for out of bundle usage, yep. and that is criminal. Yep. Um, I, don't, I don't say anyone should be shot or put in jail, but uh, you are thinking It's it. a pity torture, isn't legal for <laughs> uh, corporate decision makers in this uh, context.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. And, and they, I mean, they see the, the growth of smartphones as just an opportunity to make bank. They're, they're, they're really not seeing it as a way to. Um, to service the citizens of the, of the country better by expanding services as cheaply and fast as possible.
1: That's correct, but I think there is a wake-up coming, and I think the operator that decides to break through that barrier first is going to get great public relations. What's about to happen, based on the numbers we spoke about earlier, is that the market is going to move en masse to smartphones, and then the market is going to discover en masse the high cost of using those uh, smartphones. is huge bull shock coming for the low end of the market. Yep. And if you want to visit bull shock upon the low end of the market in large numbers, you're looking for a public relations disaster.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And actually, b- before you came in, we were talking about um, uh, f- what Facebook is doing with internet.org um, up in Africa, kind of working with operators to give people access to a, yeah, a portfolio right. of basic services, zero-rated. Uh, there's an enormous opportunity here to do something similar. Uh, give people access to services zero-rated so they will always get access to it, keep those costs down, uh, and get some tremendous traction for for a brand and with lots of lots of upsell possibilities later.
1: Indeed, I've been surprised that it, there hasn't been more of that. I was part of the campaign to get Wikipedia zero-rated yes. some time ago, and there was limited success uh, with that. I think MTN bought into it, and I think ATA at the time, Telco mm. Mobile also bought into it. But I was surprised how little enthusiasm there was amongst uh, the operators, not just for Wikipedia but for other services of that kind. My feeling is that as part of their license obligations, they should zero-rate educational sites like Cia Vula, for example. Mm, That's yep. the Shuttleworth Foundation's yep, yep. Initiatives, initiative to get um, open-source um, textbooks yes. to anybody and who wants phenomenal to Phenomenal
0: initiative it is, yeah. and I, I think it, it really deserves, I mean, that deserves buy-in from, from the government. N- no no d- question. D- develop the textbooks, develop the open-source curricula, yeah. and then make them freely available to anybody on exactly. the phone.
1: So not just the international uh, services like Wikipedia, but these local initiatives. Definitely. Generate them, and uh, you'll see um, huge uh, benefits to the youth, especially, but also to others.
0: Mm. No, absolutely. Uh, so I, I've I mean I've heard from operators on this that it, it it is yeah it's not as simple as it sounds. It does create you know, lots of billing complexities and and data management and stuff. And I understand that. So yeah, yes. It, it's not. It's not just as simple as flicking a switch. At the same time, the the benefit to being the one that cracks the nut first and actually gets it out there uh, does does stand to to gain enormously in terms of that uh, those those new smartphone adopters. So uh, we, we we can hope. The, the, the other question that Lionel had, uh, the other question Lionel had was was about uh and the the availability of, of local data. We've got all these new all these new cables landing. Um, we're st- we're still not up there in terms of the kind of the capacity that's available to end users, the the, the speed that's available, and of course our you know, our prices haven't come down maybe as much as we'd like. Um, I think I mean I'll I'll start with that. We're saying first of all, yes, for sure. Yeah, I, I have a I have family in in the UK who like to brag about their 100 megabit fiber connection at home that I they hate pay those, a fractions those for families in the UK yeah i mean yeah we, we we all know people kind of in, in Europe and the states and stuff who brag about their their ridiculous internet speeds that they pay a pittance for so sure we're we're a, we're a long way behind um but things are improving i mean the bandwidth costs have come down there've been a couple of providers that, that really took the lead in terms of trying to uh, to to implement major reductions uh, we've seen the availability of of international bandwidth improving so i Certainly wouldn't argue that we're in a good place, um, but I think it sucks less to be a South African internet user now than it did a couple of years ago.
1: I would agree with that. Um, My broadband recently put up a chart showing how the average speed of broadband had moved over the last few years. And the problem is it moved slowly, so people think it's not moving. But compared to where we were five years ago, we're in a completely different place. But I think I'd like to put that in context by just throwing – some uh, stats at you on undersea cable capacity to sub-Saharan Africa. So, uh, someone asked about Seacom uh, and, and what difference that has made. Seacom made a difference in opening competition and bringing down the cost of broadband to start with. But CECOM was only the beginning. So in 2008, before Seacom was switched on, we had a total undersea cable capacity, that's in other words, access to the international internet, of 80 gigabits per second for the entire sub-Saharan Africa, and that was controlled by one little company called Telcom. Seacom came along, and in 2009, they switched on. In fact, the date was the 23rd of July, so almost exactly five years ago, Seacom switched on. So that took the capacity up to 1,690 gigabits per second, or 1.6 terabits per second. The very next year, it more than trebled to 5.4 terabits. And... um, At the end of last year, it was at 35 terabits per second, so more than 400 times what we had in 2008, and um, it should also be mentioned um, 20 times what we had after the CECOM cable was switched on. So it's no longer about CECOM. It's about uh, data costs at a wholesale level having fallen through the floor, and the result has been quite a dramatic knock-on effect for the users of fixed-line data. So if you're an ADSL user, you'll know You can get huge amounts of uh, data for very low cost. Um, It's not the cost of the data anymore in terms of fixed-line broadband. Now it's the cost of access Hmm. because you have to rent a telecom line and then you have to pay an an ADSL connection fee. Hmm. And those costs have remained high. If you want um, fiber, then, of course, the cost of installing it is exceptionally high. But if you live in Parkhurst, might get it at a semi-decent price ah. because they'll be the first to get proper fibre well, to the home. Well,
0: well, yes, and and that's something that particularly fascinates me. Is part part of what's been inhibiting the whole process? Obviously, is the the local loop unbundling process With telecom. This is the the uh, the bot where they'll be regulatorily required to uh, to allow uh, third parties to provide that last mile connection uh, between your your house and an exchange. Now, the moment a telecoms company uh, doesn't have a monopoly on that opens the market to all kinds of interesting competition. And the Barclays example is a a, a very interesting one because the business model there is so completely obvious. You you run fiber around your suburb, you hook security cameras off it, so immediately there's a security benefit. Um, Now you've got this big fiber ring that lots of houses have access to, you hook it up to an available source of bandwidth, and boom, everyone's got fast internet. And what is the available source of backhaul internet in, in most suburbs? Well, there's two. There's your telecom exchange and there's a cellular base station. Probably, se- probably multiple cellular base stations. So the, the business model here is basically for telecom to be immediately cut out of the local loop the moment it's legal to do so. Uh, that's something that's got to be keeping some telecom execs awake at night.
1: There's no question about it, and that's why telecom almost instantly announced their own version of a yeah. fiber-to-the-home service with uh, about 20 or so suburbs, including astonishingly Parkhurst. <laughs> see that, fancy that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> But, and that shows the importance of competition. It is so important to have competition in every segment of telecoms because that's the result. That's what happened with the undersea cables. The moment CECOM was switched on, the uh, price – in fact, the price started dropping about a year before CECOM was switched on when Telcom knew what was coming. Yeah. They started bringing down their prices to come in line with CECOM. So by the time CECOM launched, Telcom was actually competitive uh, with them. Mm. And the more competition has come in, the more the prices have come down. So please bring on more of that stuff, world mm. competition. And that's why it's so important uh, to unbundle the local loop. People say it's irrelevant, it's too little, too late. But in fact, the local loop gives everyone access to ADSL capability.
0: Tremendously exciting. And the potential, obviously, for the, the cellular companies also is, is enormous. It, it turns their uh, that that base station into, into an entirely new source of revenue. And you start to use that, that backhaul bandwidth, they can upgrade that. Relatively easily, um, you know, they've, they've got their own fiber infrastructure and there's more going in all the time. So the, if, if the, the Parkhurst pilot takes off, if that goes places, if we start to see more of that, uh, we could be in for some very exciting times as, as consumers. So Lionel, I hope that answers your question. Uh, we took a long time kind of getting around to the various points, but, uh, so short, short version, yes, uh, we suck, but we're going to suck less and we're going to suck less. As time goes and by, we
1: keep sucking this.
0: <laughs> <Sorry>.
1: <laughs> and we, we get older
0: as we, <laughs> no we 're not talking about slippability <laughs> uh,
1: sorry uh, wrong wrong, wrong station <laughs>
0: um i want I wanted to um to drop in a a piece of pure geekery at the at this point we we talked about um about cell phone battery life and and how th- things are are looking up and and doing pretty well uh, Two things really strike me about that, and one is that. For a long time, I, I haven't had any battery problems with, with most devices. I'm, I'm, just, I'm never more than a couple of feet away from a source of USB power. So for, for me, it's natural now. I sit down at my desk, I plug in my phone, uh, get in my car, I plug in my phone. Uh, I have external battery packs that keep things topped up. Um, the external battery packs are almost always completely depleted because my kids have found out how to turn on the torch, but never mind. Uh, the, the point is that I've got power. Um, so I'm not too, I've ne- haven't been too worried about battery performance in a phone for a long time. Tablets is another matter because of course they charge differently. Um, but I mean, after you work with tons of phones, does this kind of do you? I mean,
1: do you see the same? It's a massive problem for me. Okay. I don't have the same good fortune that you do of being close to a power uh, source all the time. So what I do in fact do is carry these battery packs with me all the time. And right now I'm testing about half a dozen different kinds of battery packs. They they vital to my life and, in mm. fact, I find in my family's life as well. So um, I have a 16-year-old daughter who's involved in a lot of extramural activities. Uh, she's very big on debating and they're always, they're always training. They're always away at competitions. And it's critical for her to have her smartphone mm. available to us, you could say, at all times because we've got to do the fetching and carrying, and especially when she goes to strange places to take part in competitions. Um, it can be a bit dodgy if we can't make direct contact with her. So mm. it's pretty important. And uh, unfortunately, these kids are using their smartphones also to do research while they're prepping for uh, debates. Do they, do, the they likes, take, so do they
0: take the phones away during a debate? Are they forbidden from having instant Yes, access? they are.
1: They, they're forbidden during a debate. So it's, it's not during a, uh, a competition as such that they're using it. But when they're okay. training and when they're preparing, they uh, depend quite heavily on their smartphones right. and tablets. So that phone can die quite quickly. So we've had to make a battery pack uh, provision there as well. And recently we were in Graham Sound for the Graham Sound Festival, and you're not going to find yourself near a charging point uh, during the day while you're at the uh, festival. So these uh, battery packs became a a, a vital survival tool. And then for myself, when I'm traveling, especially going to foreign places and uh, let's say doing factory tours and attending conferences, you'd be surprised how little attention there is from these tech companies uh, paid to the need of, of media to keep their phones charged. So what I carry around is a series of backpacks. That I hear you on. <laughs> <laughs> and just today I've received these amazing little backpacks in the shape of everyday items. So this is a milk carton. It's a 2200 um, milliamp battery pack.
0: Well how much actual
1: milk does it That It hold? looks like a little milk carton. It says 100% fresh, one liter milk. <laughs>
0: It doesn't hold any more. For confusion for, for reference, me. for the people who can't see it, which is all of you, uh, it's about the size of a cigarette lighter. It's not really the size of a milk carton.
1: And yet, that has a full charge for a smartphone mm. built uh, into it. Then I have my fruit juice, my juice pack. Well, so now, <laughs> yeah, this
0: is this is something where there is a big opportunity is is branding on these things, right? Uh, I'm and and this I I cell C. Come on, guys. How obvious is it to put out these things in the market with the "The Power is in Your Hands" logo Absolutely. all over? Absolutely, I'm astonished that they're
1: not doing it. Not just uh, no the stealthies of the world, but also the, um, the 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 manufacturers themselves. So these are devices from Momax, beautiful devices. Uh, Momax is the brand on them. Um, but you can probably get them in any any store that's forward thinking and realizes this is mm. a need of the customer. Mm. And, so, and they are lifesavers. So the There's two, no two the two liter great. juice the two liter juice which doesn't hold any <laughs> juice in <laughs> fact holds um a forty four hundred milliamp uh, charge which means it can charge two typical smartphones. <laughs> and then best of all is my Coke can except it's not a Coke can. It says I Power Extra, and uh, it holds six thousand six hundred milliamps three smartphones from this little miniature. Cocaine uh, replica. These are right now my favorite charging devices.
0: And they are, they are super cute, no question about it. So if you're having battery problems, get yourself some of those. Um, Arthur and I both use them extensively, but it keeps us in touch. That that, that wraps it up for today. That's uh, everything you wanted to know about technology and probably quite a lot besides. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we'll be back in the same slot next week with uh, Toby Shapchak back in the chair. You can get in touch with us, as always, on Twitter at cliffcentral.com, Facebook at cliffcentral. And on WeChat, we chat always love to hear from you, Cliff Central, and just click message to show. From myself and Arthur, thank you very much for listening. It's been a pleasure. Cliffcentral.com.